Welcome to the Rothko Chapel. I think before we get started tonight, uh, why don't we just take a moment, and sorry to interrupt your meditation at the beginning, just a little centering time thinking about just the immediate of what people in London are thinking at this moment. And since this is World Environment Day, for those of you who were here, maybe it was about a year and a little over a year ago, uh, we honored the life of Berta Caceres, who was an activist from Honduras working on environmental issues, and Miriam Mirandas, who is also our, our honoree of our Oscar Romero Award. And I think as I just kind of think about the context for where we are today, and I ask you, some have your feet, shoes off already. I'm impressed because I didn't. But someone once said, when you come into holy space, you take off your shoes. And as you're sitting here for just about a minute or so, think about all the people who may have come into this space over its almost, well, 40-something years, 46 years to be exact. People well-known and people will never know their names, but who came here for solace, for hope, for love, for energy. So just take a minute and think about the context, the world that we're in, the things that are on your heart this, this evening. That is an introduction. The other thing in creating the sacred space, we're, we're really trying to be minimal technologists, if that's a word. So if you don't mind turning off your cell phone or silencing and no pictures, I hate to use a negative, please refrain from picture taking. Uh, we do have a photographer and part of that is so that we can have it and we do put online so you can get uh, pictures that way or see what happens so that'd be great and part of that really is just to create the environment where you're kind of next to a neighbor some of you don't know and sort of sharing that space as much as we can without interruption over the next hour hour and 15 minutes so with that um one other little last note of business after how many of you are here for the first time great great welcome to the rothko chapel especially Put your hands up again so that those of us who have been here a few times can see who you are and we can, we can welcome you. After the program, we have uh, uh, two bungalows right next door to the chapel. It's the second one. And if you'll, uh, if you got a few minutes, come on over for some refreshment, some time to visit. We'd like to have receptions afterwards. Speak to our speaker, our guide tonight, and just share in some companies. So uh, come and join us. It's a great way to kind of keep building this Rothko Chapel community. So let me get on tonight. I want to thank you very much for being here for what is really a global observance, uh, World Environment Day. Just a little history. It started in 1972 with a declaration uh, from the United Nations. And uh, the first program was in 1974, and the title was Connecting, um, uh, Connecting to the Earth, Only One Earth. And uh, since 1974, it really is one of the most expansive of all the environmental programs that have consistently run along with Earth Day. So these two are very, very important and uh, really celebrated now at 143 countries around the world. So what we're doing here today is either already happened in other places or will happen. And every year they have a different host country, and this year it's Canada. So just a little bit about uh, World Environment Day. One thing I've learned from about, I guess now, 25 years of working on environmental issues that I think should probably come as no surprise to any of you, that the spiritual depth 
of an individual's and even an entire community's love for, concern about, and connection to the environment is, is bottomless. The spiritual connection to one's passion, love, and concern about the environment is bottomless. Um, as we know well, there is a direct correlation between one's spiritual, one's physical health, and the state of the environment. I may say that and you'll go, yes, that's correct. And you just think for a minute, it might be the Grand Canyon. I was thinking it could be one of the beautiful sunsets at the Gulf of Mexico. And suddenly you just feel your body doing something, right? Positive, like, breathe. You relax a little bit. But it is not the opposite true also that if the environment is in a bad state, the other, th other happens too, right? Our physical health, our spiritual health goes the other direction. I was thinking today about uh, islands that are really are sinking, are being submerged by the seas and whole communities displaced because of global climate change. We all know about lead in the water. And one of my favorite songwriters, John Prine, anybody here a John Prine fan? He has that beautiful song, Paradise. And in Paradise, he talks about torturing the timber and stripping the land and racking it. And then that poignant line, writing it off to the progress of man. As if you can torture the timber, strip the land, tear up the earth, and call that progress. But somehow when you think about it and you think what happens to people, it's not progress, it rips your soul, right? I mean, it, it rips your livelihood, it tears up community. So part of World Environment Day is to put these into a, a context of conversation and dialogue and thinking about, you know, people who do have to work, work in the mines or people that work on other extraction industry points where it's not always all positive, but it's livelihood and something to some extent we all depend upon and have ownership. So this day is one where we come together to think about what's before us. And the other important part about the day is an opportunity, in particular in the Rothko Chapel, is to have a moment to step back out of all the cacophony of politics and the arguments and the uncertainty and just kind of settle ourselves within this context in the environment, asking the question, what is our connection to one another to creation, to the cosmos, and what can I do in my way, just as a human being, to improve the world in which we live in? So we hope what we offer today might be also a chance to discover, if not rediscover, a little bit of centering, a lot of energy, and a lot of passion, because when you go out of these doors and you see Barnett Newman's wonderful sculpture, The Broken Obelisk, dedicated to the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King, we can't just sit interiorly inside. Part of our calling is what are we going to do when we leave these doors. Well, tonight we are honored to have a guide with us. I, uh, this uh, woman is, a, is an incredible individual, and her, her full bio is in the, in the program. But I just want to say a couple of notes about Natasha Burroughs. First of all, she has a Master's of Arts degree in Transforming Spirituality, with an emphasis in spiritual direction from Seattle University School of Theology and Ministry and a Bachelor of Arts degree in Ethnic Studies and African American Studies from McAllister College. As I thought about that, I just got to say, Natasha, you are well prepared for tonight, for being with us tonight. Not only educationally is she prepared, but vocationally, and she'll tell a little bit about where she is today at the Earth and Spirit Center in Louisville, Kentucky. What I found about Natasha is she really lives at that intersection of what we might call at the chapel contemplation and action, but you call it what I saw, spirituality and social justice. You live and you work that intersection every day. As such, she helps everyone she meets discover their deepest purpose in doing all they can to bring about good and improve the world, not only for today, but for future generations. Natasha, you're the right person at the right time to be with us tonight. And I want to tell you, you're amongst friends, and we're just honored to have you at the Rothko Chapel. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Good evening, everyone. So welcoming here. Um, 
I just want to give thanks to um, David and Ashley and Kelly and all those at the Rothko Chapel who invited me here today. I'm um, humbled, and it's an honor, and it's a privilege to be here today in community with you all to celebrate and honor our earth um, and to do that through meditation and through sharing and spiritual practices. It's a special space. This is a beautiful space. You all are so lucky to have this in your community, in your city. I was sitting here this afternoon thinking, I feel like I'm in the sky and in the earth and the soil of the earth at the same time in this space. Even though there's no green, you can feel the presence of, you know, of earth and universe here. So um, as David shared, I am the program director at the Earth and Spirit Center. It's a, a local nonprofit based in Louisville, Kentucky. We say Louisville, not Louisville. <laughs> and um, it was started by a passionist priest by the name of Father Joe Mitchell. It's about 10 or 11 years old. And um, the mission of the Earth and Spirit Center is really to bring about change and transformation in healing of the earth, of the planet. Um, it has an expansive way of looking at that. It's, um, we believe that when we are more connected to what is sacred, when we're more connected to each other, and when we're more connected to our planet, that's when we can bring about change. That's when we can bring about healing and transformation. So we often say, you can't be a healthy person on a sick planet, and you can't be a healthy person in sick communities. So really it's about that healing and restoration through deep connection. And we do that through um, many different programs locally, through meditation and um, different classes that we offer in earth literacy and social compassion. So if you're ever in town, please know we would love to have you come visit. You have a home in Louisville. So... Um, I really feel like, you know, I've been kind of praying and meditating about this time and coming here and really being like, what, what, uh, what, is, what am I to share? What am I to give? How can I be of service? And um, the answer that I got in my meditations is that I'm not really here today to tell you anything new. Um, I'm here today to remind you of what you already know inside of you. I'm here today to help you remember your connection to each other, your connection to our planet. So I appreciate that you called me a guide today because that's how I see my role is really as a guide. And today we're going to, I'm going to have some opening remarks, um, but we're going to engage in a lot of different meditation and contemplative practices to help us connect deeper. So we'll be doing some silent meditation, some guided meditation. Um, you see a labyrinth on the ground. We're going to be um, doing a little bit of sacred storytelling um, through symbol and a little bit of sacred sharing and listening with each other. And we'll end with an with a interfaith prayer. So that'll be kind of our journey for this next hour. So I think we can all agree that we're in a pretty critical moment of our, of our survival. We know a lot of things. We know that the planet is getting hotter every day. We know that just four days ago our president pulled out, pulled the United States out of the Paris Climate Agreement. We're one of three countries to not participate. We know that there are species of animals going extinct every day. We know that burning fossil fuels is bringing about increased rates of asthma, of cancer, of respiratory care problems in our family, in our friends, our children. We know that our native brothers and sisters in southern Louisiana are our country's first climate refugees being displaced from their homeland because of rising sea levels. We also know that there's a lack of green space in our communities and that low-income communities and communities of color are bearing the brunt of environmental racism. And we know that there's an island of plastic garbage floating in the ocean, in the Pacific Ocean, that's growing so large we can now view it from space. 
And the sad and hard part about all this knowing is that we know it's our fault. We know we're responsible. Earth is resilient. When you look at the history and understand, we're going to talk about the universe story today. But Earth is resilient. She'll, she'll restore herself, and she has. She's 4.5 billion years old and has gone through turbulence and changes and being hit by asteroids and life, iterations of life and death. And she's been able to survive and thrive and we Homo sapiens, we're about 170,000 years of that history. Um, so Earth will adapt. And really, the destruction of our planet, the destruction of our community, is really the destruction of ourselves. Um, we know on the deepest level, the reptilian part of our brain, the fight or flight part of our brain, knows that the greatest threat to our species is ourselves. Because if we destroy a planet, this is the only home that we have to survive on. And we live in that tension every day. I know I do, I feel it. <laughs> um, every time we drive our cars to work, every time we um, buy bananas from Costa Rica or flip on the lights and put our air conditioning up because it's getting really hot outside, um, every time we overconsume and eat factory farm meat, we know that we're actively kind of participating in the destruction of our only home. And ultimately, the destruction of our species, of um, other earth creatures and ecosystems. I was looking at my Facebook feed the other day, and um, across my news feed came this saying by the Cree, which I think is really poignant. Um, and the Cree saying states, only when the last tree has been cut down, the last fish has been caught, and the last stream poisoned, will we realize we cannot eat money. And this saying makes me think about how in some senses, we are both the victim and the perpetrator in this experience. We're both participating in this violence, but we're also recipients of this violence. And that's a, that's a tough place to be in. It's a tough place to reconcile within. At the same time, we know that we can't stay stuck in helplessness. We know we can't stay stuck in hope, being hopeless and despair because we know there's too much at stake to stay in that space. There's this wonderful author, his name is Parker Palmer, I don't know if you've all read anything by him, but he's fascinating. And he talks a lot about social transformation and change. Um, and uh, one of the things he talks about in his writing is this idea of the tragic gap. And he said that there's kind of two poles when you're thinking about change in the world, change, healing of our earth, there's kind of two poles you can think about. You can be in this pole of too much reality, or you can be in this pole of too much idealism. So he says if you stay in this pole of too much reality, it becomes corrosive cynicism. You start to think, well, why even do anything? We're all going to die anyway. Nothing's changing. The more you change, the more things stay the same. You just stay in this place of despair, and there's no action in that. And then he says, if you go into this place of too much idealism, then you're kind of Pollyanna about things, and you're kind of transcending what, it, what is. You're staying in the realm of ideals, but you're not rooted in what is reality. And so he said, we need to live and create change and create transformation in the space in between. In the space in between too much reality and in the space in between too much idealism. That's where transformation happens. Um, Martin Luther King, who I love, says a quote, love is justice concretized. Love is justice concretized. 
And I think that really highlights that idea of the tragic gap. You know, you have this ideal of love and justice, but what does that look like? It's real, it's tangible, it's something you can touch, right? So the space in between, this tragic gap, is where we have agency. It's where we have power. It's the space where there's a call to action. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, Thomas Berry, who the Earth and Spirit Center was inspired by, the priest that started it um, was inspired by this writer named Thomas Berry. He's a writer and a passionist priest, and he wrote a lot about kind of the ecological crisis and earth care. And he talks about this agency. He wrote this book called The Great Work. It's thick, it's complicated, but it's deep. <laughs> and um, in it, he's, he talks about how each age in human history has brought about a great work. They've done something um, in human history that has forever changed the way that we've lived. So one age of people um, invented language and, and writing. Um, this one age of human, humans um, discovered fire and how to harness energy. Um, one, another age of human beings um, created agriculture and farming. So forever changed the way that we have lived or existed, right? And he says that he argues in the book that we have a great work. In this moment, in this time, we have a great work to do. And he argues in the book that the great work of our age is to bring about a way of being where humans live in a mutually enhancing relationship with the earth and the earth community. So I'll say that again. He says our great work of this age is to bring about a way of being where humans live in a mutually enhancing relationship with the earth and the earth community. So rather than having a relationship with the earth that's an I-it relationship, we have a relationship with the earth that is I-thou. Instead of having a relationship that's based on exploitation, we have a relationship that's based on interdependence, that's based on connectedness. This isn't a new concept. It's really an old concept for a new time because a lot of our indigenous brothers and sisters have known this. A lot of our people in the third world know this. A lot of people in the global south have known this. But it is new in the sense for this time because I think to live it collectively in a, in a way where it's massive and it's the dominant way of being, that's new. It's countercultural to our post-industrial economies and societies. So our historical moment, this moment, this pain, this tension that we're all in is really an invitation. It's an invitation. It's an invitation for us to be part of this great work, to be part of changing structures and systems, to be part of developing a consciousness that moves us away from anthropocentric ways of thinking, human-centered ways of thinking, to ecocentric ways of thinking. This is part of our work to embrace, you know, our identity as a creature of the earth. You know, often when we say who we are, we say, I'm a, I'm a woman, I'm a mother, I'm um, black, you know. We, we, we have our identity in our, in our social experience, in our human experience. But what if we embraced our identity as creatures of the earth, of people that are, are of the earth? Um, part of our work is to not have dominion over, but to be in relationship with the land, with the water, with the air, with the trees, and to honor those rights. Um, there in New Zealand, they just gave one of the major rivers there rights, um, water rights, you know. Um, what if we gave those rights to water and to trees and to air, just like we do or try to do with human beings, right, and our rights? Um, and I think the powerful piece here for us to know is that it's not a hopeless situation. We have 
all of the science, all of the creativity, all of the resources, all of the ingenuity. Human beings are incredibly creative. Look at what we've created in this lifetime. We have everything we need to address this crisis. Um, and really, it comes down to collective will, collective action, and a collective consciousness. I talked to a good friend of mine. She does a lot of stuff um, in Australia around forestry, forestry investment. And she went to a conference um, that Al Gore put on. He does a lot of stuff around climate change. Um, and he organized this global conference and she went and saw one of these keynote speakers. And I don't know the name of the keynote speaker. I wish I could find it. But um, what he said was really powerful. He said that, um, there was a time in human history of the umpires, when the umpires had all the power and the resources to make an impact on the world. And then he said there was a time of the nation, when the nation had all the power and the resources to influence and make an impact on the world. And he said this age that we're in, this time that we're in, is the time of the city. You think about urbanization and how we have these massive global cities like Hong Kong and Paris and New York and LA, all of that concentrated wealth and power and resources, the power to make a difference on a local level that have a global impact is real. That's the time that we're in. Um, and that, there's a lot of hope in that. You're seeing that with um, the Paris Agreement, right? So, um, you know, our president has pulled out on a federal level, but cities, we have 150 cities that have signed up, that's mayors that have taken leadership to say, we're still following the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement, whether our country is or not. And Houston is one of them. Your mayor signed up for that and is committed to that. So there's a lot of power and hope, I think, in that. A lot of power to make real change on a local level. I remember one time I asked this educator and activist, he did a lot of community work, and I said to him, he did a lot of community-based work in Oakland. He's about the local. And I said to him, um, how can I make a change? I feel like I don't have a community. I feel like I'm kind of floating. And he said something that I'll always remember. He said, wherever you are or wherever you find yourself, Plant where you are standing. Plant where you are standing. So I invite you to plant where you are standing. So into this place. So into this land. So into each other. So into something great. Into something sacred. Our wisdom traditions point us to this. Towards the sacred work. A cross face. The role of spirituality, of faith, of spiritual practices in this work really gives us moral agency and gives us moral agency to work towards um, a common good for, for the world, for the planet. They guide us to live in community. They inspire us to act to a higher ethos. Spiritual practices ground us in this work, but they also sustain us in this work. Um, and if you look across traditions, you'll see a roadmap. You'll see a narrative that shows us how to be in relationship with the, with the earth. Um, Buddhists talk about the concept of interbeing. So there is no separate self. That we are, we are one. We be with each other in relationship, in inter. Teknat Han, who's a um, Buddhist monk, peace activist, he talks about this idea of interbeing, and he says, we need a real awakening, enlightenment, to change our way of thinking and seeing things. And this is where he connects it with interbeing, meditation, and earth. He said, to breathe in and be aware of your body and look deeply into it. To breathe in and be aware of your body and look deeply into it, realize you are the earth. Realize your consciousness is also the consciousness of the earth. 
Um, in Islam and Christianity, it's a little bit more dualistic about the human-earth relationship. It's a more separate. Here's the human, here's the earth. But in both of those traditions, there's still a call to stewardship of the planet and the responsibility to care for the planet that Allah created or God created. <clears throat> That's our task. If you look in early Christianity for the first thousand years, they looked at churches and they, there wasn't crosses in the churches. There was beautiful murals of valleys and mountains and flowers and forests because in early Christianity they celebrated paradise, the Garden of Eden. That's where they believed that um, God, the Spirit of God, permeated and blessed this, this all over the world of the creation. That's where salvation lies. Um, and many indigenous spiritualities embrace the sacredness of the earth as well. Um, this idea of we are all one family. The bear is my cousin. The mountain is my sister, right? All creatures have rights and sacredness. There's a reverence. There's a humility and a reciprocity in that way of being. So although these traditions vary in their perspectives, they all invite us into a relationship with creation. One that's based on love and respect. And there is so much wisdom in creation. There's so much wisdom in the water, in the trees, in the mountains, in the, in the song of the bird. Um, it's healing, as David was saying. It brings us to a center, to a truth in ourselves that's so powerful. George Washington Carver said, anything will give up its secrets if you love it enough. This idea of being present, of you know, bringing your meditation, being present, being in the moment. What does that awaken when we connect with creation, when we connect with each other, when we connect with earth, when we connect with what we would call mystery? So I believe that this call to earth justice, this call to difficult, possible difficult conversations around that, this call to action, this call to knowing and remembering is really a call to love, to love greater, to love bigger. Sufi mystic and poet Rumi, he said, love calls everywhere and always. Are you coming? Let's do everything we can to answer that question with a collective yes, yes, yes. So I invite you to take a moment you, to close your eyes and we're going to go into meditation and contemplate on those words that Rumi leaves us with. And we're going to have about five minutes of a silent meditation, but I'm going to call these, the, this word, these words into the space as we contemplate our connection and our action. Love calls, are you coming? 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 Love.
song I wanted to share with you all. It was a gift um, I, when I was in Namibia in the desert. These little girls um, from the Oshibambo tribe, they taught me that song. And I wanted to share that song with you all today. Um, the meaning of that song is mystery, sacred, God, whatever name you may call it, guide us, lead us, show us the path, show us the way. Show us what it is we are to do in these times so that we can bring about good. So I wanted to share that with you all today. So you'll see in the center today, we have a labyrinth, a portable one. (laughs) And um, today I wanted to share a sacred story to help us remember our connection to uh, the planet, to each other, to all of the creatures of Earth, to the universe. Um, And I wanted to share a, a sacred story with you through symbol. And what's so sacred about this story is it's all of our story. This is the story of the creation of the universe, how everything began, where all things come from. And so uh, I'm going to share this story today. It was inspired by Brian Swim and Thomas Berry. They pulled this together from some of the new science that's coming and has emerged about how the universe was formed to combine it with um, spirituality and faith. So where science and faith come together, we're in those times. This is something called the Cosmic Walk. And it was developed um, by a sister, a Dominican sister. Her name is Sister Miriam McGillis. She um, is part of this Genesis farm in New Jersey ecological center and she wanted to create an embodied way to experience our creation story where we came from so I'm going uh, to share this story with you all today and you can receive this in any way that feels comfortable for you so if you want to close your eyes you can if you want to watch you can however whatever space you need to be in to receive um, this story today. 
the universe story. The universe begins approximately 13.8 billion years ago as the primordial flaring forth of stupendous energy out of ultimate mystery. Hydrogen and helium and everything from all creation unfolds from this spark, from this one event. Approximately 13.6 billion years ago, the first stars appear. They expand and then collapse, forming carbon, oxygen, sulfur, and iron, all elements necessary for life. This process continues for billions of years, creating a trillion galaxies, each with billions of stars. And then, nine billion years later, the sun, our sun, is born. Four point four five billion later, the Earth and other planets in our solar system form. The Earth is full of fire and full of creativity, and as the Earth cools, its surface develops a crust. A crust. Vapor escapes from its boiling interior, forming cloud, and rain begins. It lasts for centuries, forming the oceans, cooling the surface, and hardening it into rock. Four billion years ago, bacteria emerge, photosynthesis begins, and Earth awakens. Life begins here. A little over a billion years ago, Cells joined with each other for survival and development. Sexual reproduction begins. We multiply. Six hundred million years ago, worms and jellyfish appear with the first nervous system. And then 500 million years ago, fish, fish emerge. And now the nervous system is protected by bone. Four hundred and twenty-five million years ago, life moves on to land, from water to land. And then the insects come, the trees and the amphibians appear, the dinosaurs and the flowers spread across the earth, the first mammals appear, birds fly, and whales begin to swim the oceans. And then 147 million years go by, and the first humans walk the earth in East Africa. Eight hundred thousand years ago, clothing, fire, and shelter are discovered. 
40,000 years ago, human language begins and music instruments are made. Fifty-five hundred years ago, the rise of great civilizations. Twenty-five hundred years ago, Buddha is born. Two thousand, Jesus. Fourteen hundred years ago, the honorable prophet Muhammad. Peace be upon him. Four hundred and fifty years ago, the rise of the modern nation begins. Forty-nine years ago, our planet Earth is seen from space for the first time. For the first time, we see ourselves. And depending on how old you are, you were born. <laughs> and we keep evolving and forming and flaring forth from this initial great spark where we are all one. May we contemplate this mystery in silence. sitting comfortably and at ease before the lighted candles, relaxing your heart and breathing deeply. Softly and silently, gazing at the candles before us and before our common story. Take a moment to be present and call yourself into the here and now. Become aware of the many things, human and non-human, that you have encountered thus far today. Trees, flowers, clouds, people, animals, tables, chairs, and so on. Just imagine all the life that you encountered since you woke up this morning. Take a moment to think about who you talked to, what bird maybe captured your ear with their song. Maybe the wind, you felt the breeze across your arm. What life did you encounter today?
And as the rain falls, notice the candle. Notice the light that it emits. It's a symbol and a reminder of the cosmic flame out of which all life as we know it today emerged. Breathing calmly, imagine this same flame raising within the heart of everything you encountered today. Remember that same flame, that same fire from the beginning, 13.8 billion years ago, is now within you. The fire within, the light within. And imagine that same quiet flame rising within the heart of everything that you will encounter through the rest of this day and through the next day and through the next day and through the next day and for all the days of your life. And I invite you to slowly come back into community, into this space, aware of each other's presence, back in this circle. And I invite us all to rise if you are able. We're going to end with a collective um, prayer, and so a collective intention. And so what I invite you to do is to say this statement and finish it, and we're just going to kind of do it popcorn style. So the statement is, my hope for the earth is...
My hope for the earth is 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 And so it is. Thank you all so much for sharing today and being in community. Um, we're going to leave this labyrinth up. So if you want to do a walking meditation and contemplate our creation story, you're invited to do that. Um, we're going to leave the chapel open for a little bit for you to engage in your meditation in that way if you feel so called to do. So thank you all so much. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you all. <laughs> thank you.